would be singing a different kind of music on Thursday as they mosey down Broadway together, but uh, both of these fellows are, are exceptionally talented, and uh, we are very blessed to have their voices uh, lifted up in praise in this congregation, and so Barry, thank you for uh, sharing your gifts so generously with us, and Jeff uh, for all the uh, many, many good things that you do to make our worship life together uh, a much more spirit-filled kind of experience. So thank you. This morning we start a uh, mini-sermon series, I guess you would say. Uh, we are going to be looking at First Peter for a, a few Sundays as we move forward into the summer. The hope that is in you is our title for the sermon today, but the sermon series is God's Own Household. And we'll be looking at uh, three different parts of First Peter uh, to help us to understand what it means to be part of God's household and, and how we live out that hope as people of God. As I mentioned earlier, next Sunday is Youth Sunday, and then the first Sunday in July, as has been the case and occasion for many years now, we will be having our annual Worship in the Street event, and be doing that with Trinity and St. John's, First Baptist, and Brown Street United Methodist also will be a part of that service. But... As we begin this morning on the series God's Own Household, we're going to be looking at scripture from 1 Peter, the third chapter, verses 13 through 17. Now, who will harm you if you are eager to do what is good? But even if you do suffer for doing what is right, you're blessed. Do not fear what they fear, and do not be intimidated, but in your hearts sanctify Christ as Lord. Always be ready to make your defense to anyone who demands from you an accounting for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and reverence. Keep your conscience clear so that when you are maligned, those who abuse you for your good conduct in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if suffering should be God's will, than to suffer for doing evil. That is God's word to us this morning. The church that First Peter is addressed to, the letter... That is, uh, that is First Peter. The church, not unlike many of the churches that uh, letters were written to, some of which we have in the New Testament, this church, church in Asia Minor, several churches in Asia Minor, again, are uh, outcast. They are struggling. They are under severe pressure. Nobody really is interested in what they have to say, or very few people are, or so it seems. 
and to the extent that the church continues to proclaim, they put themselves at risk of greater persecution, of greater likelihood that they will be exiled from the uh, greater city or community, society in which they live. They're trying to decide what it means to be Christian in a world that is not interested in what Christians have to say. Or so it seems. So to that community, the letter is written, and it is the uh, intention of the author to first of all say to those folks, do not fear. Do not fear what others fear. Remember where your hope lies and who your hope lies in. It doesn't lie in the, the powers that exist in the community. It doesn't lie in what you possess, what you have. You don't lack that power because you may not have very much. Do not fear. Submit, someone once said, submit to the pressures from peers and you move oftentimes down to their level. Speak up for your own beliefs and invite them up to your level. Do not fear. If you move with a crowd, you'll go further than the crowd only as far and as only as, uh, as great a distance as the crowd that travels with you. When 40 million people believe in a dumb idea, it's still a dumb idea. Simply swimming with the tides leaves you nowhere. So if you believe in something that's good and honest and bright, stand up for it. Maybe the folks around you that are trying to push you down will get smart and drift up to your level. Do not be afraid. Do not fear. Now, this morning we want to show you a clip, and I told uh, Steve Klink, I said, we're probably the only, only church in, in the United States, maybe the world, that is showing a clip from Pride and Prejudice this morning. But, uh, <clears throat> but this clip shows the power uh, of cultural, you know, cultural norms, or what, you know, what's normally accepted or acceptable behavior, to shape or to misshape people's lives. So in this particular scene from the movie, uh, the two main characters, Darcy and Elizabeth, are in conversation together. Listen very closely, because both of them are struggling against the same thing. Darcy is struggling with the fact that he loves Elizabeth, but yet everything culturally tells him that's not a good idea. She's not on your level. Elizabeth, on the other hand, represents 
a rebellion against that kind of culture, that kind of differentiation among people. But this is a a scene of conflict and a, a scene of two people trying to live and understand what it is to live their lives in a culture in which right now they they really don't quite fit because they care about each other and they don't know how to quite how to make that work. Miss Elizabeth. I have struggled in vain and I can bear it no longer. These past months have been a torment. I came to Rosings with the single object of seeing you. I had to see you. I have fought against my better judgment, my family's expectation, the inferiority of your birth, my rank and circumstance, all these things, and I'm willing to put them aside and ask you to end my agony. I don't understand. I love you. Most ardently. Please do me the honor of accepting my hand. Sir, I, I appreciate the struggle you have been through, and I am very sorry to have caused you pain. Believe me, it was unconsciously done. Is this your reply? Yes, sir. Are you, are you laughing at me? No. Are you rejecting me? I'm sure that the feelings which, as you've told me, have hindered your regard will help you in overcoming it. Might I ask why with so little endeavour at civility I am less repulsed? And I might as well inquire why, with so evident a design of insulting me, you chose to tell me that you like me against your better judgment. No, believe me, I didn't If I was uncivil, then that is some excuse, but I have other reasons. You know I have. What reasons? Do you think that anything might tempt me to accept the man who has ruined, perhaps forever, the happiness of a most beloved sister? Do you deny it, Mr. Darcy? That you separated a young couple who loved each other, exposing your friend to the centre of the world for caprice, and my sister to its derision for disappointed hopes, and involving them both in misery of the acutest kind. I do not deny it. How could you do it? Because I believed your sister indifferent to him. Indifferent? I watched them most carefully and realised his attachment was deeper than hers. That's because she's shy. Bingley, too, is modest and was persuaded she didn't feel strong. Because you suggested it. I did it for his own good. My sister hardly shows her true feelings to me. So this is your opinion of me. Thank you for explaining so fully. Perhaps these offences might have been overlooked had not your pride been hurt by my honesty in admitting scruples about our relationship. Could you expect me to rejoice in the inferiority of your circumstances? And those are the words of a gentleman. From the first moment I met you, your arrogance and conceit, your selfish disdain for the feelings of others made me realise that you were the last man in the world I could ever be prevailed upon to marry. Madam, for taking up so much of your time. So struggling with uh, cultural norms, and if you caught what Darcy said, I'm, I'm going to ask you, this is, this is probably not the way you want to ask somebody to marry you. Uh, in spite of the fact that you are, you know, of low esteem and low estate, I'm going to ask you to marry you, or marry me anyway. Not only that, but Darcy's so captivated by the culture that he lives in that his fear is that his best best friend, who's also very wealthy, uh, will make the mistake uh, of marrying Elizabeth's sister. And Darcy has already seen uh, 
to it that that, that would not happen uh, and, and wrecked that relationship also. Struggling to overcome fear and prejudice in that culture in that time. Who can marry who and under what circumstances? In our own time, our own place, think about uh, we're in the political season now. You might be alert, might have your antenna up to how often appeals are made by uh, the two candidates that have risen to the top of the presidential race, how often the appeal is to your fears and not your hopes, not your dreams, and not what can be. Peter says to the church, fear not. Do not fear what they fear. And he goes on to say, make a defense for the hope that is in you. One of the great stories in the history of the Christian church is a story about Martin Luther, the great reformer, who was put on trial in the 1500s because of his beliefs, who was brought before political authority because of those beliefs, who was asked as he was before that political authority if he would recant everything that he had said uh, the church needs to reform, that we need to revere scripture alone, that we are justified by our faith in Christ and nothing else. Would Luther recant those things? And, perhaps for dramatic effect, he was given a day in which to decide whether he would do that. So the trial adjourned. When it reconvened the next day, Luther spoke these words to the council. Your imperial majesty and your lordships demand a simple answer. Here it is, plain and unvarnished. Unless I am convicted of error by the testimony of scriptures or by manifest reasoning, I stand convicted by the scriptures to which I have appealed. And my conscience is taken captive by God's word. I cannot and will not recant anything, for to act against our conscience is neither safe for us nor open to us. Here I stand, I can do no other. God, help me. Amen. And in making that statement, Luther, I am uh, absolutely certain, believed that he would be arrested in that moment and eventually executed. As history would have it, as providence would have it, Luther was not executed. He was aided by other friends that he had, protected, spirited it away. They broke him out of jail, so to speak. And he went on, of course, to continue his reformation. Make a defense for the hope 
that is in you. Uh, be prepared to do that. Know that if you stand for those things which Christ would have you stand for, that it is quite possible that people will take exception to that. You shouldn't be surprised by that. That's been the history of the church since the beginning of the church. The question you may want to ask yourself is, how will I make that stand? Scripture says, do it reverently and with gentleness. Don't be obnoxious about it. Trust in God. Trust in the hope that's in you. And know that God will be with you as you seek to be faithful. Well, the story concludes, or the scripture verses that we read conclude, uh, calling us to have a, a clear conscience, a clear understanding, to remember that Christ also suffered for sins, once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, in order to bring us, to bring you to God. To move forward in that hope that Christ is for you. If Christ is for you, who can be against you? And to do that with reverence, to do that with faith, with hope, a hope that's within you. Uh, when Nancy and I were coming back from vacation about two weeks ago now, on that Sunday, we left a little earlier on Sunday than we would normally leave because we were trying to get back for uh, the Sippel visitation, Edith Sippel's funeral was was coming up quickly and so we got in our our car we'd rented a car to go on this uh over 2,000 mile journey that we we took over about a 10-day period of time and we had satellite radio uh that we had gotten so that Sunday morning we were listening to the gospel train uh it's on the bluegrass station if you're interested if you got satellite radio and it's, it's on for hours. I don't even know. We listened to it, I think, for at least three hours that morning. And uh, just, just had a great time uh, listening to those songs, singing some of those songs. Uh, it wasn't as bad as you might think it was. Our singing is pretty good, actually. So. <laughs> One of the songs that came on the radio had, had a lyric that stuck with me. And the lyric was this. It was on my knees that I learned to stand. I can hardly walk, Jesus, unless you take my hand. Move forward with the hope that was in you, if that is in you. I can hardly uh, walk, Jesus, unless you take my hand. Well, I was reminded through that song and through my preparation of a poem that I'd saved from years ago. It was written by an African-American woman named Ruth Foreman. It's about prayer. It's about the hope that's within us. It's about living in a, in a tough world and about how to do that. And here's what Ruth Foreman wrote. 
poem is entitled, I Wear Prayers Like Shoes. I wear prayers like shoes, pull them on quiet each morning to take me through the uncertainty. Don't know what might knock me off course. Sit up in bed, pull on the right, then pull on the left, before shower, before tea. They were my mama's gifts to walk me through this life. She wore strong ones. Kind, steady your ankles. I know, because when her man left, her children gone, her eldest son without goodbye, they the only ones keep her standing. I saw her still standing. Mama passed on some things to me. My smile, sense of discipline, my supple behind, But best, she passed on, girl, you go to God and get you some good shoes. Because this life ain't steady ground. Now, I don't wear hers. You take them with you. But I suspect they're made by the same company. Pull them on each morning. First the right, then the left. Best piece of dress I got. It was on my knees. I learned to stand. The hope. The hope that's in us. The hope that guides us. The one who we pray to and who we wait patiently to hear answers from. The God we know. Reveal to us, through our Lord, through our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we, we thank you that we don't have to fear what other people fear. Lord, that we can have the courage to to make a defense for what we believe. And God, that you point us toward remembering always the hope that's in us. Lord, we thank you for that. In Christ's name, amen.